All right, we're rolling, we're rolling. This week, welcome back to the Groove Pavement. We got two more movies this week. Slaves and Halls of Anger, 1969-1970. Correct. And when we can come right back, we're going to talk about them a little bit and really dive into these pieces. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Mama. <laughs> Dig it. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back. This is Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. And you're now rocking with the Groove Pavement. As we said, we got two movies, Slaves and the Halls of Anger, but we're going to talk about the Halls of Anger first, which starred Calvin Lockhart, a.k.a. the new smooth Sydney Poitier in that movie. And uh, also Deco Malley from uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem. Yes, yes. So this movie takes place in the school system. You know, uh, he's a teacher. He first works in, in, a, in a white school in the suburbs, but there's stuff going downtown where he's from, and his school wants him to come back. And during this time, you know, it's a lot of segregation going on you got the white kids and black kids and you know neither one of them want to be in the same school so who do they call they call quincy uh quincy davis for for black up yeah that's what they call him for this brother's smooth man he look like he he uh washed his face with cocoa butter he's 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 bohemian right he's 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 yeah. And he's been in a lot of movies. You know, you're gonna see him later on too. Uh, he's definitely in one of my favorite movies, Uptown Saturday Night. Yeah. Um, but he plays a teacher, and you know, the system kind of want him back to help save it because now they're having more black kids and very few white kids, and it can be, you know, some tension. There's some tension there. He wants they want him to save save the the the, the school. For well, that budget. well, the backdrop is desegregation, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think people realize how tense that time was, mm-hmm. uh, because you had you had uh, the Brown versus the Board of Education, nineteen fifty four, that makes segregation illegal, mm-hmm. and they used the Fourteenth Amendment rather adroitly to do that, mm-hmm. right? But then you had Brown versus the Board of Education, two. Mm. Brown versus Board of Education 2 was they were trying to figure out how to implement segregation. Mm. I mean, how to implement uh, deintegration. And what they came, what came out of that was we have to integrate these schools with all deliberate speed. Now, deliberate and speed are polar opposites. <laughs> so that's why it takes so long. That's why you're still having to desegregate schools uh, even up until the 1980s. Mm. So this this whole backdrop here is is, is very tense because there's a resistance. Mm-hmm. There's like a fatigue in the country about you know what we should do 
about this whole racial divide. Mm. And now people just want to move on, you know, move on with their lives. I mean, this is 1970. Mm -hmm. The 60s has taken America through just about everything. Yeah. So now they want to move on, but there's a backlash to the, desegre uh, the desegregation because there are whites and blacks that don't want to be involved like that. Mm -hmm. And particularly with white people, they're starting to flee. Yeah. There's a white flight. White flight. And uh, so you're going to see how white kids adjust to being bused to a predominantly black school. Yeah, and these are poor white kids. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the thing, too, because, you know, back then it was less textbooks and stuff like that. So you get to see how these kids are in the classroom mm -hmm. and the chaos that, you know, when you're in uh, city areas, urban areas, can the teachers really you know control these kids you know so yeah. it's, it's it's chaos in, in many ways so they try to figure out they're trying to figure out how we're gonna make progress with these kids this age group growing up in, in a school system so this is where you first learn you're, inter you're interacting with your peers but if you your peer you grow up with your peers it's like prison you mm. say it's a correctional facility but you're around a bunch of but that, but that's the thing. I, I look at having gone to school in two different areas. I look at how it was when I was in Walk Hill, mm -hmm. as opposed to NFA. I had never seen a metal detector <laughs> until I got to NFA. So it seems that the schools are, they run them like correctional facilities mm -hmm. when it's predominantly us. And some of the teachers, as you'll see in this movie, have checked out. Yeah, they can't take it. They've checked out. Yeah, so like, what's your point of becoming a teacher? Exactly. The first thing you see, the Calvin Lockhart character, he is an English teacher at a predominantly white school. You know, he's loved, he's you know, very dear to everyone, he's cool with everyone, he's well-liked. He like, it, like where he's at. Yeah. He moved out the hood. It's progress. He's probably making more money out there, too. Right. So then he gets called in by some of the staff, probably the principal, whoever this guy is, and he has some words for him. So we're going to run this scene, and you're going to hear what makes him, uh, what makes this movie go forward. Tell me, Mr. Davis, do you know Lafayette High School? Downtown? Yeah. It's a fine physical plant, and the board thinks you'd be very good there. But I've sort of settled in here. I know, it's rewarding here. But it can be rewarding there, too. If we promoted you to, say, vice principal. But I like teaching. You could still have a couple of English classes. Mr. Cargo, may I ask you a question? Why are you being so good to me? Well, to be frank with you, we have a situation down at Lafayette. They've reapportioned the district and they transferred 200 white students in there. First time in five years. 200 white kids and 3,000 black, huh? They're already a day late in opening. Gentlemen, I can't say I don't know what you're talking about. But it seems to me that what you need is a professional disciplinarian, not an English teacher. I think I better pass. There it is right there. It's just like they want him to... Fix the school in the hood. Yeah, he's black up. That's what he is. <laughs> and you see, he had his, his boy in there uh, yeah. to 
I guess, push the card a little bit more. So yeah, this is like, we got a problem and it's dealing with the hood, urban areas, and we think you can fix it. And then we have this guy um, who pushes the incentive even more. It's like, you know, want to get into the reasons why he don't want to go, even though he's comfortable where he's at. Mm -hmm. This is where he worked up to. <clears throat> All right, so let's see what's going to create this inciting incident. All right. I don't want to go back to the ghetto. It took me 20 years to claw my way out of there. So what do I want to go back for? We need you down there. They need me here. These kids never see a black face. Do you? Hell. White man makes it, nobody comes running asking him to go back. White man goes, he's gone. You're not a white man. So? How far would you like to make it? Principal? Big wheel downtown? Maybe. You buck the Board of Education now and you'll never get anywhere. They'll freeze you in your tracks. Like I said, they need you down there. Not here. Yeah. Brother looking like Billy Dee's cousin. Uh, yeah, so he's more needed in the hood than is where his current place is where he took 20 years to get up out of the hood. Well, you know what it speaks to is what it speaks to, bro. You know, whenever you're black in a certain position, mm -hmm. it's not that you just have a job or a career. You have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that pull you back. Uh, even when go back to with Dr. King. Dr. King was in Massachusetts. That's where he met Coretta. So he's getting his doctorate, and. They made the decision, they discussed going back to the South because he could have stayed where he was and got like a cushy sixty to $70,000 a year job being a professor. But he felt the pull to go back to where he came from to try to you know, implement change. Uh -huh. And so that's the dilemma we often have. We, we, we you know, scrape and scrap to get out of, it, out of a situation yeah. and here you go getting pulled back into it. Yeah, I mean, a lot yeah. of us want to leave Newburgh, get out yeah. the hood, but we know Newburgh needs help, and exactly. we're part of what can make that change. So we can see, you know, we're reluctant to come back, uh -huh. and that's his thing is reluctant to come back, but he does, and you know, for necessary and good reasons. And so it's how we're going to be received. That's the other thing, mm. because you you leave and you come back, you're not always subject to a warm reception, but. Okay, mm -hmm. for you to make it out, it, you, you've either fought your way through, you got your way out, and made it possible. Mm -hmm. And there's others that want to get out, but they don't know how. So maybe you are the one to mentor those who can be the next to form that change and show them that they can get out or they can be greater than what they think they, uh, greater than what they are. Uh, for the, for you to get out, you did something great. Yeah, and that's what that's what he feels. He feels some type of accomplishment of doing the work for twenty years. Okay, now, but he doesn't see the. He, at first, you may not see the merit as coming back and helping your own. You know, because if if you don't, if no one doesn't, they're just gonna stay the same or get worse. Well, you know, those everybody has those reservations. I even had those reservations, but I think the need. 
is greater than your reservations, mm-hmm. and that's ultimately the decision that he makes. Yep. Plus the fact that the district has played hardball with him mm-hmm. and kind of said, this is an offer that you can't refuse. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing you can do about it. You're going to have to take this job or hear your walking papers. So he's already settled in. He's already settled in and, uh, you know, check out some of the students and there's some familiar faces, upcoming faces in there too. Well. I forgot where it was. <laughs> and I thought all you honkies supposed to be so smart. Look at up, JT. You're not taking the honky side against us, are you? Next thing you'll be calling me a white racist. Okay, back to work. The book we'll be reading is The House of the Seven Gables by Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> so it just shows you the dreariness of you know what he's gonna be going through, and I can swear, man, some of these actors in there are grown ass men. A lot of times, oh yeah, these, you got some grown muscles, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they just tuck down their uh they mustache just for the scene. But um, it's definitely dope seeing that. Like this is our our parents' age in a sense. You know, them going through high school during that, during that time, the desks and all that stuff. I remember the desks, side, you know, look at the sideburns, man. These dudes are like yeah, they, they, 28 they, they, they grown. In, in, in eighth grade. They grown. <laughs> <laughs> like the black Van Wilder or something. <laughs> um, but they shaving before they even go to school. Yeah, look look how dark the, his upper lip is, man. That's, man, he probably had a uh, unibrow, too. He got kids. <laughs> yeah. In that same class. Uh but yeah, that's one of the things I love about when they do, you know, these type of movies, just how it looked like even the the teacher, Calvin Lockhart, his character, like it's natural. Like, you know, it just looks smooth, even though, you know, for us, the the clothes is out of style. Classic. Hold on. That's homeboy from uh, Car Wash. Gosh. But just the way it look and feel, it's just like it, it looks authentic. That's how the school was. Even when they was playing basketball, the old benches remind me of North High. And the uniforms. Yeah, you know, they super, super high. They pretty much underwear. Uh, But yeah, it's just like he goes back. He comes back home and the kids are really remedial. But then you also have the bullying of the white kids. I mean, the the black kids on the white kids, you know, having to move and stuff like that. And there's also kind of a detachment that he has to be uh, Calvin Lockhart's character. Mm -hmm. Because the book he pulls out is uh, uh, like something that those kids have never yeah. seen or heard. Yeah, and it just, they can't relate to it. That title alone just shows. yeah, they, it just makes you roll your eyes in the back of your head and mm-hmm. doze off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and the kids are just like, you know, they don't really respect the teacher yet. Yeah. So it's that's the thing in the beginning. You get in this tension because you know they feel that this is our ground, uh, and same thing with between the races. It's you know, our you're at our school, so you get that tension where the white folks, the white kids, are the minorities. Yeah, it's know, the so first time they've been able to exact some pressure uh, in reverse. Uh-huh. You know, and I, not to segue, but segue. If you <laughs> I never wrote did one, you but... did you um and neither did I. I, I think I would 
do too well on it. But, <laughs> but a lot of times, like it seems like what the kids are doing is cruel. They're hazing these kids. Yeah. The the black the black population is hazing this uh, white minority of students. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is that we can create this kind of false equivalent. Mm. Now, what's happening to them is horrible, but that's bullying. Mm -hmm. That's not oppression. Right. right. And see, a lot of people like to create that narrative that I was oppressed too. I mean, I, did you see that interview with Kiki Wyatt? No, I didn't. Kiki Wyatt tried to, uh, they were talking to a, a couple people on a, like a Zoom call, mm -hmm. and she was talking about uh, how black people need to, need to, you know, kind of get over themselves that they're not the only group that has been oppressed. And then she, what she said was that, you know, uh, I, I'm biracial, so I've experienced oppression. And no, ma'am, you didn't experience oppression. You might have experienced some hazing, some bullying, but that's not the same thing. Mm. And so what these white kids are getting is just a fraction of what these kids have experienced the whole of their lives. Yeah, yeah, they're only... And then school, some of them are actually going to be, uh, you know, their parents are taking them out. So, but this was a, you know, I really liked the movie. I liked how it looked. I liked how it felt. And uh, it just reminds you of those times. And then, you know, you get some um, relief moments when you saw uh, teacher Quincy Davis played by Calvin Lockhart teaching um, Dwayne Jesse, who was... LeBron yeah. Johnson, like he found, you know, he wanted him to read something. So he tried to give him something remedial. And then the teacher like saw him throw the book in the garbage and it it would have it would have played him in a sense, because if the other kids would have saw him with a very remedial book, it would have been, you know, I like I like the dynamic between, uh, you know, Calvin Lockhart's character and Janet McLachlan. Mm -hmm. They kind of complimented each other. Mm -hmm. Very good. Janet McLachlan, the more I look at her, the more uh, beautiful she becomes to mm -hmm. me. So I'm like, that's one of those underrated <clears throat> beauties of that time. And she wore her hair natural. Just right. wanted to put that out there. I'm going I'm to throw something out there, maybe a spoiler to some, but in every scene, there has to be an opposite. You know, so a, uh -huh. a character opposite. So that's why you always see somebody being mean to someone and that scene lasts or uh -huh. they're actually opposite. It's kind of like a spoiler because now when you watch a movie, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that per that person is needed yeah. for that to relieve the tension or to excite the attention. So she's she, she brings him down to move forward because he's kind of reluctant to helping uh -huh. and seems like, you know, then it feels like he's helpless, like these kids can't be helped. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I felt like that, too. But and, and they, they come into each other's lives at a pivotal point in their career uh -huh. because as much as she cares she's thinking about mailing it in too uh -huh. and so here he comes and he's fresh he's a fresh face or whatever uh -huh. he's he's you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and he wants to make this change and she's like wait a minute uh -huh. you gotta you gotta understand where you're at now yeah you know? and, well, you, and you also become the reason why I'm here exactly Hi, Mr. Davis. Hello, Greg. Hi, Mr. Johnson. Hi, Mr. Davis. How is everything? Fine. 
Glad to hear it. Uh-huh. Well, listen, I got some reading to do. Reading? Is that right? Uh-huh. You know, I'm very interested in your reading, Johnson. Tell me about it. Look, ain't nothing to tell. I'm in a hurry, Mr. Davis. Oh, what? I got a class that teaches a hard nose. Oh, you. <laughs> no sweat then, huh? Uh-huh. I mean, if I'm here, you can't be late, can you? Uh-huh. <laughs> By the way, I want to see you after class. Okay, I'm going to be there. Uh, you promise? I promise I'm going to uh, be there. Johnson, don't let me down. I'm not going to let you down. Cross my heart. You're going to be there. You're going to be there. All right, Johnson. All right. Go on, then. He teaches you to read. It seems like one of those, um... It's one of those trashy uh, romance novels yeah, you can get at the grocery yeah. store. What he does, it's not even a trick. It, it just, you know, some of the stuff that they like, he's having him read something, when he hears hears himself reading it, it's like, really? Is this really going on? Is this what I'm reading? And the more you like that thing, uh, the more he's going to try to read more because he want to hear more of what's really going on. And it's, it's brilliant because there are so many... Uh, expressive words and it can really increase your vocabulary at the same time of him getting the basics of, mm-hmm. of reading again so i like this move i don't recommend it as a teacher <laughs> <laughs> because but. you even got i saw a thing with um uh damon uh homeboy started fubu he was talking with a uh, ludicrous because now they're having kind of like having rappers if you have because kids love rap, right? Mm-hmm. So now if you give them something positive, you know, especially with lyrics, it's, it's very memorable. And, you know, you can repeat it over and over. So in a learning manner, this is what they're doing versus what, you know, their adult music. So it's the same same tactic in a sense. Give them something that they like and, and induce it into learning. They're going to pick it up. They're going to mock it. You know, so... If you listen to certain songs, kids will actually memorize songs because they're hearing it repeatedly, repeatedly. But you ask them to memorize something, I don't want to memorize that. Yeah. You put it in the song way. Or, or put a TikTok way. dance to it. They, oh, yeah. So, let's, let's, June bug. Let's, yeah, let's watch this scene. With your, there's always a, there was a June bug in this movie, I believe. There's always a June bug in the hood. What kind of work you do, Johnson? Cleaning out air conditioning ducts downtown. Is that what you want to do? Look, if you white, you right. If you brown, hang around. But if you black, get back. That's where it's at. Not if you push your way to the front and hold on tight. Oh, yeah, I know. It's been done. Sure. You're going to tell me about Bill, Cosby, Carl, Stokes, and OJ. But you cast the super spooks. You make it anywhere, anytime. All I'm asking you to do is try. And you can't try until you know how to read. I'm making it. Like hell. Hey, man, give me some slack. Why do you read? Oh, man, not that damn baby book again. It's no baby book. Then it's William Cullen Bryant. Every time I hear one of them dudes with them three names, I goes under. Now, come on, Johnson. It's not what you think. Read book. Read. He pulled her to him. Her body soft, but firm. Then he felt the press of her full, heavy (laughs) Ray Johnson. Her full, heavy breath. 
heard her sigh with pleasure. He felt the warmth rising into his lion loins, into his loins. And kissed her. She Oh man, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> Reed Johnson. Okay with me. <laughs> she reached for his manhood and gasped with delight. Outside, the trees shook in the wind. <laughs> oh, God. No. He's actually enjoying the reading more than the fact that he's learning to read. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing. And it felt, it feels authentic. Like, you know, he's, this is real. Like, for him to be that young, the acting, it just feels real. Like, you actually see him trying to learn how to read. And this is precipitated by the fact that when he was his first, one of his first classes, mm -hmm. he went around the room mm -hmm. to see how people read. And I recall doing the same thing in mm -hmm. class. Yep. Um, I wanted to see how you read because I wanted to see where you are as far as comprehension. Yeah. Because reading and comprehension is everything. Mm -hmm. And so when you're struggling with simple words, I know what I have in front of me. So he gauged... Like this guy has a lot on the cap, uh -huh. but he can hardly read. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just showing that is is actually, uh, you know, and he likes it. And even to the point, some other kids come in and want to, to hear what else is going on. Yeah, he got a book club started. So these kids asked him to join in. He wanted to hear what was going on because uh, he saw a homeboy was in there by himself. So as their desire reached its pit pi pineapple pinnacle pinnacle her whole body shuddered against his don't stop she cried go ahead I'm listening <laughs> suddenly he felt a strange sense sensation sensation she had taken a piece of ice and jammed it into his flaming flesh <laughs> so what did so yeah, so they, you know, he found something that they can uh, make that adjustment into learning, mm -hmm. you know. So and they're actually gonna learn to read more by hearing something interesting, something that they like, in a sense, as far as you know, men and women, you know, feeling sensations. That's that's interesting to them. And reading reading opens up your world. It yeah. really does. You can travel the world without a passport. 
by way of a book. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, is when um, JT character, who is like the main problem yeah. of everything uh who the teacher the uh, the principal even wanted him out of the school because he was the problem but he's a brilliant guy actually yeah so the the point where he wanted him to do the mural um what i saw there was that he also allowed him to do something that he wanted to do mm. uh to relieve some tension but the thing is the other, yeah, the other thing that I, I, I was seeing that you're giving these kids who have nothing or really don't have much something else because they're like, you know, what else am I going to do? You know, that's why they play around so much. You know, they were smoking in the, in the hallways. Um, and it also makes me think about cats who are on the block. What else am I going to do? What incentive are you really going to give me? Why should I leave the corner if I'm making money? Yeah. You know, even though there's consequences of, you know, that action. And, and I also have something else about the block. And you know, next move. you know, it, one of the one of the challenges that black men face is how do we navigate our anger and our ambition? That's one of the major, major uh, challenges that we have is because there's this tension of. Of our environment, yeah, it's the tension of the forces that are within the environment. Then, without like what people are thinking of you when you venture outside that environment, mm-hmm. and and it's your and it's your ambition, because you don't want to lose favor from the people that are around you because this is what you know. This is your support system. Mm-hmm. So that anger and ambition, having to navigate those two. Yeah. Can be a challenge depending on where the uh, what neighborhood you're from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the start of mural teacher uh, Quincy Davis letting JT do something, and this was um, he told him he could do whatever he want, and he even have input from um, Mr. Tron, uh, yeah, Jeff Bridges, um, Jeff Bridges's character, which yeah. is another leader that he has to. Mm-hmm. He has to negotiate between those two. Mm-hmm. What caused that riot? What, what caused the riot was Rob Reiner's character. Yeah. Was trying to figure out a way to get out of the school. No, no, no. He asked. Um, but but what he did was he he provoked. Right, right. He right. provoked. Uh, I forget what his name is. Uh, Leroy. Yeah. Le- Leron. Leron Johnson played played by Dwayne Jesse. So he provokes him. Saying something offensive to him. Yeah, it's like, where can I get some and, hookers? And he, you know. They started a fight, and then that parent came, and then even. Uh, was that a parent think? or a teacher? I don't know. Because he was just standing there. Yeah. He was standing there. I think it was a parent because he was outside the fence. He was on the outside of the fence. Um, so it was a fight. It's kind of like, it was called a race fight, anyways. And he was like, yo. So it boiled over to the point where. The students is like, see, you ain't changing nothing, y'all, for the for the white kids and stuff like that. But I think his character, Quincy Quincy Davis, Calvin Lockhart, wanted to, cause there he knows the black kids. And yes. He's trying to also tame the white kids in the sense where it's just like, okay, play it cool. Just as much if it was the opposite, 
because that's what we've been told all our lives. Yeah, you, know, it's, you it's, have to hold yeah. yourself. Yeah, you know? so you know, if somebody mouthed off, you're gonna control your family member before them because you know your family's like, listen, I can control you. So he's pretty much was trying to keep them cool, but at the same time, you know, he has a whole head of steam. He feels like there's no point of school. There's no moving forward. There's you know. You're just going to be working for the man or whatever it may be. There's no out. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, why are you in school? And, and, and mind you, during this, we don't see no, we mentioned before, we don't see no black parents come to the school. Exactly. This never would have happened if we got rid of them honkies. That wouldn't have changed a thing. Not for any of you. Hell. You thought he found his mind down here? You thought he could do something? Well, when push comes to shove, you can't do nothing. Well, I know what I'm going to do. Quincy, where are you going? I don't know. I'm just getting the hell out of here. You just can't go away. Why not? What's the use? Please, listen to me. Quincy, now you once told me that if I left, it was like telling those kids that there was no way out, no hope. Well, now I'm telling you, you can't leave. The hell I can't. Look, they got their indifference and their hate. So what do they need me for? And then you get that organ. When you hear that organ, yeah. that's that's some type of change right there. You hear those keys? That's man, when those keys come on, you know something's gonna be some change, something happen. Some introspection. You see it in the heart. Look at look at look at she look like she on a black Maybelline. Can't you hear it? Beautiful. So, yeah, that's, you know, he feels like, you know, that was it. I'm going to give up because they gave up. And it kind of seems like there's no point. But, um, you know, there's still always some fight left. And then he goes, roams the city and see what the life is like. Because he knows that if these kids really give up. This is what's going to Yeah, you're just going to recycle that pattern of what we see. Yeah. And it's. You know, prostitution, hanging out, drugs. The blues song, it like the song "Reaching Out Here," I mm-hmm. think it's by Maurice Miller, who's that's who sings it. Mm-hmm. But it's very, um, it kind of reconnects him to the neighborhood, like uh, so. It's a nice backdrop to to what he's seen. Rising like a muddy river, falling like the evening sun. So this is like. This is home. This is what he, after working 20 years this is what I, to get out of. This is when I escaped. Yeah, he come back home. You know, and this is our, you know, some, this is some people's end of the road for the most part. But even in it, you know, you see hope because yeah. they're still going to, you know, they still see life in it. That's when you need to get him, right there. Mm-hmm. That age. Yeah. That's that's, that's everything hard. right there. Yeah, but it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's a bunch of them. You get one, but and he was that. He was that one. Yeah. So he kind of sees himself. So Jeff Bridges, 
one of the white kids and he plays it cool. He's just a cool white kid. And since he's just trying to work in class, yeah, he, he didn't ask to be in this situation. He don't want to be in nobody's way. He know what it is. Yeah. Um, Like them darkies on TV. Gang up time, eh, JT? Real tough. Oh, look, man. Why don't you just hustle on back where you came from? We got these honkies on the run down here. What's crazy is that um, what's got to be frustrating for him is that when he was in that predominantly white school, uh-huh. the kids loved him. Uh-huh. They respected him. But when you come back and now you're dealing with your own people, this is this is this is the tension that I was talking about uh-huh. because you make it out now you came back and people act like they don't know you. Your own people, you know. So that's that's a hard one. Yeah, and that that music and. The horns get louder and harder <laughs> the more the tension there is. Yeah, the more the suspicion. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot being said there. And it seemed like before the 70s, we were called darkies. And that's what's actually going to be. And slaves, you're going to hear darkies a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we went through many things. Colored. Negros. Negra. Darkie. Spooks. Yeah. All right. I'm going back, man. But I'm going back for my thing, not yours. Well, that's fine, JT. You think you had a hassle with me? Wait till you get my kid brother. 
the riot happened and uh, the kids was kind of like boycotting the police came and Calvin Lockhart is like you know I got it under control so this is the residue of about me man I've had it you won't graduate I don't care then what I don't care I tell no, you you listen to me never understood why so many black kids give up well you're doing the same no, thing man. Man. It's not the same you're damn right it is and you've only had a taste of what they've had to live through all their lives maybe now you understand why they're so full of anger what it takes to be black and survive in a white world come on man don't con me everybody knows they're to drag you down here you're dying to get out i'm staying you're like like i've tried and try again oh they for this maybe and maybe not Sure, they're not gonna throw their arms around you. You'll still be a white kid in a black school, but at least they'll respect somebody who has the guts to say, I have the right to be here. Now, they've been saying that for a long, long time themselves. So that, that was pretty much this is the end of the movie. Uh, but you also notice that he couldn't, he can't talk to JT like that. So he knows the understand. He has an understanding of the the, the, the children that the, the the kids that he's dealing with. They call that cold switching. Cold switching. That's what call it. <laughs> yeah, that's cold switching. So yeah, he pretty much laid him out, laid it out in a way where he has some understanding because he's a he's a learned kid. He's a good kid. Yeah. So he's help you know, he knows that he's a fighter as well. You know, especially when he played ball, you know, he had to deal with it. Uh, he just wants him to work his way out and, you know, be the difference. So and he's also hoping that he will be later on to understand what it is, uh, how these black kids feel. So when you grow up, you know, you're not gonna be those who are oppressing these black kids. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was a pretty good movie. Nineteen. This is nineteen sixty nine, right? No, nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. One point six million budget. Yeah, which is pretty sizable then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's made in the U.S. Came out nineteen seventy, April 29th, nineteen seventy. Paul Bogart is the director. Uh-huh. Calvin Lockhart, who will be seen throughout the seventies, great actor, very well a- acted. Uh, throughout this movie, so it was a great movie, and and he brings like a, him being a tall, dark skinned man, mm-hmm. bringing like a swagger, to like he's not ashamed of his blackness, he's not ashamed of his image, mm. and like it, it, he kind of exudes that, whatever role that he he's playing, yeah, yeah, he exudes very, that very very dumb. I never seen him playing anything weak. Have you ever wondered about creative energy? About how it's channeled and molded into masterful works of art, music, poetry, sculpture, fiction, dance, or drama? Every creative has a story. And at Speak On It Podcast, we get the makers 
to talk about the passion they have for their craft. Speak On It is where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and why they do it. Listen on iTunes, Google, Spotify, iHeart, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Hudsey, a localized storytelling platform and the concept of platform cooperatives based on a vision that merges democratic ownership and governance with cutting-edge technologies. The platform cooperative model points the way towards a fairer, more equitable sharing of resources, equity, and attention with the goal of empowering local communities. Hudsey, we're taking back our stories and our media, one town at a time. We're going to walk into this next one, Slaves. It's a little heavier. 69. 69. It's a little deeper, and this is dealing with, you know, time of slavery. 1969. And also the house, Buena Vista Plantation, which was in Shreveport, Louisiana, U.S., which is still standing to this day. It's said to be haunted. I'm pretty sure folks go there as, as a, you know, as a historical place to go see uh, the plantation's Louisiana is a major slave port. New Orleans, a lot of activity there. A lot of interesting clashes uh, of cultures throughout Louisiana. Yeah, I like I mentioned. I would like to. I want to go see those plantations. I I know it's a heavy sight to see, but I, I actually would like to go see that. Um, so this movie is dealing with. It's also you know. Di- uh, I don't think Ossie did any writing with this. Ossie is the no. Ossie Davis is the main character of this movie. He actually is a slave, and this movie was done by uh, Robert Biberman and also one of the writers, John Oliver Killens, who actually his grandparents had were were slaves. So he he's an author. He wrote a, a, a lot of novels. So I mean, we mentioned before about like why. Are they writing these movies? Where are they getting these stories from? So now, you know, they actually have someone who actually has some real research because he's also uh, an important figure in the black arts movement. He's a activist in the civil rights movement and the creator of the writers, black writers conference and mm. a university professor. So he has the research. He has the credits. So him being a writer uh, of this movie, or one of the writers of the screenplay, you see some of the uh, authenticity in the movie, there's uh, there's a lot of wordage in there that underlines what we mentioned before about the reason behind slavery and the economics of slavery and stuff like that. So we're going to touch some of these scenes. So specifically, it's in 1850, mm-hmm. which is Antebellum South. And anybody that doesn't know what Antebellum means, Antebellum, ante before, mm-hmm. bellum uh, is a Latin word. That means war of all against all. Mm-hmm. So before the Civil War. Yeah. And also notably in this movie is Dion Warwick. Yeah. This is her first movie. This is her debut. Yeah, uh, she, she she's she, no joke in this movie. Yeah, she she's <laughs> she's feisty, she has fire, but she is the mistress of one of the slave masters in this movie. So if you haven't seen this movie, you should go watch this movie along with the first one too, Halls of Anger. But this movie, you know, has some heavy weight. So again, I'm gonna bring this up until we get into the the 
true black exploitation of the 70s. This is pre-black exploitation. These are the underlinings of what's to come into black exploitation. And you also see, also see the changes. Because uh, like we said, the first movie was in, in 70, 1970, dealing with the school. This is this movie was made in 69, filmed on plantation. Um, like I mentioned before, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big... I, I love to see the behind the scenes mm-hmm. of when, when they make the movies because you get to see more than the the makeup that we see as the edited piece. So we get to see the actual field, uh, the rehearsing of the lines, of how they lit it up. Uh, and also you get a glimpse of how they felt in the actually, you know, being on the location, being in these houses, knowing that this was a slave house, knowing... Uh, the atmosphere of this the, the house the plantation the outhouse what they ate where they're servicing it it, it, it must make them feel a certain way it it's, has to it had to be spiritual because we we don't just carry DNA mm. traits I think we carry cultural experiences mm. and we pass those things on even our trauma mm-hmm. we pass on mm. uh, there's there's just certain things that when you see them, you you experience them, you know, not just with the five senses, but also right. spiritually as well. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, Denzel talking about how when he was playing Malcolm, there were certain lines that he was just going in and going in. And they're like, well, wait a minute, that's not in the script. He was like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Just I got carried away. So this movie directed by Herbert Hiberman. uh it was filmed just, uh, you know, there wasn't nothing crazy cinematic about it. You can tell the difference between this and 12 Years a Slave. One of the things about Steve McQueen, he likes to hold on long, long shots. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't really cut quick or anything. It wasn't have it didn't have a certain look. But the words, uh, the screenplay filled in uh, those gaps or, you know, which... Mm-hmm. You know the aesthetic wasn't all that, all that great, but it shows the plantation. It shows uh, the looks on certain faces, especially some of the slaves when he mentions about selling them. Mm. So you can also see. So the other thing that I wanted to mention too, because in the beginning, how it starts, slaves are being bought, right? And he bought like a lot of, I think six things for like three thousand. So one of the things you hear, you know, they're on the slave block. And it just makes me think about when we're in the streets, we're on the block. Mm-hmm. Sitting there waiting, selling. And, you know, later on, you're going to be picked up. And then when you go to jail, you become a number. So now you're being sold. So it's just a... They're going to inspect correlation. you. Yeah, they do. Just yeah. like they would inspect the uh, those slaves. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's just a real correlation and... I, I can say that because I used to be on the block doing nothing, doing nothing, or what we thought was doing something, but it's doing nothing. Um, so if we just gonna beginning real quick, one of the first things that uh, I forget this this you know, there's also going to be a meeting of the masters, slave masters, and they you know talk about how they're gonna come up. So Ossie Davis. Being the star of this, uh, the lead of this uh, movie, he works for a slave in the north. Uh, 
He's in the north, right? No, he he's in the south. It's probably um, he's probably further north. I mean, he's still down south, but it's probably further. Right, he's not. It's, it's not as deep south. Okay. Um, but he's gonna be he's gonna be sold to somebody else that's in the deeper south. And you know, when they go in the deep south, they, those slave masters had a reputation of not being as benevolent. Mm-hmm. See this one he's he he takes pride in serving him because he's a he's a kind master. Mm-hmm. Take your pick of my stables, half dozen horses. Horses? <laughs> the demand is for darkies. We have some household silver. I'll tell you what, Mr. Stillwell, I I expected you to be short. Kinda counted on it even. Mighty fine wine. I'm uh I'm tired of driving a wagon all over the South. How about, uh, how about you and me being partners? We'll raise blacks here instead of stock. I'll, uh, I'll tear up all your notes to me. And I'll put, uh, $5,000 into the Stillwell Holland Breeding Company. Me? A black baby's worth $200 with its first breath. I will not even discuss it. Yeah, so the thing is, Ossie's character, he's he works for his master, and his master promised him freedom. freedom. So he feels like, you know, everything's going to work out for him as long as he does what he's supposed to do. But there's another guy who has, I guess he has bigger pockets, and bigger ideas that has a hold on that master, and said, so, you know, he has dibs on him. Yep. So, so, and this this scene or what sets up, you know, Ozzy's or Luke Stillwell's uh-huh. dilemma. Stillwell is his master's last name. What sets up his dilemma is the similar dilemma that took place in Uncle Tom's cabin. Uh-huh. That book came out in 1852, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Mm-hmm. And historians uh, view that book as one of the triggering events of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Because Uncle Tom's, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin really gives you a, a, a snapshot into the misery of a slave's life. So mm-hmm. Luke Stillwell's character is experiencing the same thing at the beginning of the book. That uh he yeah, he's that uh that Uncle Tom did in 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 the novel so mm-hmm. so Luke Stillwell is is really facing the same problem mm. his master has promised him freedom it's a it's a lot of parallels between Uncle Tom's cabin and uh the slaves move yeah and and they ha- these slaves have families you know yes. and they're gonna be sold and separated and that's what happens and then um. You know, for for one thing, he comes back to his wife and and says, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna buy your freedom. He's gonna mm-hmm. make enough money to to buy freedom for him and the family. But something that happens. This is happens in the more movies. You see, they have a motive to go one way. Something happens. They want to get to a certain way, and then you got to figure out how what something's preventing them from going forward. What choices are they gonna make now? And then also, this shows just how much worth or how much money 
a slave is worth. Mm. Yeah. All right? If you did the, like, he could sell in the book in, Harry, uh, in Uncle Tom's cabin, he was able to sell two slaves mm. and pay and, and square the debt. Mm. Whereas in this movie, he's able to sell Luke and square his debt. So he could, by selling Luke, he can keep his farm and the rest of his slaves. Mm. This is how valuable a skilled slave was worth. They said um, back in 1850 that uh, a skilled slave, depending on the gender, condition, or whatever, mm -hmm. was worth about $400. If you translate, translate that to now, you're talking about 12500 Anywhere from twelve thousand five hundred, depending on the skill level, mm -hmm. to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And if you had multiple, you you, you gotta. So you you yeah. spend considerable money, and it's gonna be worth it based on the person's productivity. <laughs> so, Holland is one of the slave masters over Mister Stillwell. And then there's gonna be another slave master, McKay, who comes into play. Which is also going to be the introduction of Dion Warwick's character, yeah. Cassie. Uh, so Luke gets sold to McKay, right? Yep. So he's separated from his family, and it's um, you know that hope of buying his family freedom no longer happens. And one of the things that his kid runs up to him, you know, and he was. He said he's going to make enough money to buy you. Yeah. Which is crazy because a lot of times we we, uh, we, have, we we save up to make enough money to take care of our kids, just to take care of them. But in this case... He's got to make money to buy him, buy his buy freedom. A, buy a child, in a sense. So we move forward. He ends up on McKay's plantation and he's the new slave on the block. <laughs> he's Kunta. In a sense, and Ossie, you know, his background is is you know uh, Christianity and everything. He's been saying that you know God's going to help him through, even though a lot of things change it. So a lot of times you hear people talking about slaves and stuff like that. You know, they were slaves pretty much in in in, in all nation, uh, nations. You know, same thing with Muslims. You know, the the thing. You, the thing is, like they they took the concept where you know who our master is. Master is the creator, and then that, the beings are the servants of that creator. Mm -hmm. So those slave master took that same concept. So when you hear the name Abdullah, Abdullah means servant of the creator. Mm -hmm. So that's what that means. And during early Islam, they they you know there were some Arabs that had slaves, but then when they became Muslim. Some of the Muslims would buy the slaves to free them mm -hmm. because they believed that no one should own another person. So that was the whole thing. A lot of people, there's all, I know there's a lot of people who have misconceptions, all these other things. The Muslims had slaves and stuff like that. They did. They also had um, uh, women, uh, I forget what they, what, they call, what they called them. Concubines? Uh, uh, yes. And, mm -hmm. and, and other hand, uh, uh, wives and stuff like that. But the whole of Islam didn't come into fruition yet with, with the Prophet, where it took over 20-something years for them to have these rules. So religion, 
which is the founding of all, you know, some of us had these different things. Even before that, they had multiple gods, you know, the idol worship and stuff like that. And they were serving these gods, what they call as gods. So that's the thing. It's just like you have this founding. It's like, you know, this is going to make us, we're always going to be free in a sense if we just do what we're supposed to do. So we have all these, uh, the religious texts that tells us. So I think, you know, for these slave masters to, to tell these people, it's like, this is in your book. You're supposed to serve us. And, yeah. But their, their concept of it is total distraught, you know. Yeah. So, but he was heavily rooted and, you know, he's he, he's going to find a way. He's a, and, man of, he's a man of faith here. He right. really is. But then there's his boy, um, what's the guy, um, Jericho? Yeah, yeah Jericho. Jericho. Is the opposite. the opposite. So that's why I remember I was telling you, there's yeah. always going to be an opposite, you know, so he, he, he's necessary. And Jericho, it's, it's ironic that here's a man of faith, Luke Stillwell, uh-huh. and Jericho, who's his friend, uh-huh. is the opposite. And Jericho, <laughs> hmm. representing, you know, freedom and yeah, conquering yeah. and victory. Yeah. And you put those two personalities together it, it is it is yeah. a great option could you because you still have to do something you know yeah. you can't just say oh yeah god's gonna take care of it and, nah. and just sit there and think something's gonna happen it ain't gonna happen you sit there all day yeah. <laughs> um so and there's also a saying to tie a camel because a lot of people would just do stuff uh and let it be because some, everybody else believe in god too but it's like okay there's a camel there. oh god put that there for me end up taking your camel so, you know, you have to be mindful of your things, too, and actually put in the work and do the effort. So we say faith without works is dead. Exactly. Same thing. You know, so, but the thing with Jericho, uh, same thing like within uh, uh, in Roots. You know, there was also another person, like, they, they wanted to leave. But, you know, he was like, nah, just as like, you know, you get the, the, that one slave is like, nah, man, master good to us. I ain't yeah. leaving. You know, God put us here for a reason. But then you got that one outside, like, man. Uh, I'm reading the same Bible you're reading. We need those horns in this movie. (laughs) So it makes something happen. Um, So, um, but um, Ossie's character, he's a, he, he knows how he's learned. He can read. Uh, Even, even McKay says like, you know. Those are crimes. Yeah. For them to be. Uh, taught to be educated. We'd be good to the blacks. Once you give us 15 young'uns, we'd give her freedom. Why, a place this size, you could you could run a hundred winches here. We could plow up these pastures and let the bucks raise their own corn and tobacco. Raise their own fat back, make their own molasses, feed themselves. We'd have produce left over to sell. You can keep a few horses. Ride around the place. I'd take care of all the breeding. Niggers is a business, Mr. S. Your proposition is out of the question, Holland. Well, then. Come up with one that ain't. Fact is, uh, this is my last trip. Married me a wife down in Virginia. Pretty little thing. I'm gonna settle down with her. Breed blacks. Make her a lady. Tired of people wiping their feet on me because I do all the dirty work. I want to be a master, too. Can't carry any longer. Got to carry myself and my wife. Partners, Mr. S. Are the money due me. 
you haven't got the cash, I'll take it out in blacks. Now, that boy that come back from Ohio, I'll take You him. heard what we said. I promised him his freedom. He's not yours to free. I got a chattel on all your channels. That's the economics. That's the economics, and the historical context is this. Less than 10% of the slaves that came from West Africa uh. actually made it to American shores. Like, they mostly... Yeah. They mostly made it to South America, to the Caribbean islands, but a lot, a lot of them touched, uh, touched North America. Uh, and if they were, they were coming from the Caribbean after they were broken right. already. There was no, there was hardly any ships that came directly from West Africa to the Americas. There was always a stop in between. Uh, so where are they getting these people from? They're either already here. Uh, or are you breeding them? Uh -huh. And it's a combination. Yeah. And you hear later on, um, McKay mentions about those who are on the ships. Because he had, he said those out of the 100%, 40% maybe over. I packed blacks into my ship until you couldn't walk the decks. Every morning we threw the dead and the uh, rebellious overboard. They were not easy, those voyages, but we could turn a profit if we got 40% of them here alive. After Lucas sold, uh, Lucas sold to Mr. McKay, and now he's on a different plantation. He, let, he had to leave his family, and the wife, you know, they made love for the last time. He's, you know, it's like, you know, no, we're not going to see each other. So things are going to change for Lucas sold, and... The thing is, he 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 accepts it. I mean, in a sense, well, because he can't really do nothing about it. Mm. He's an older man, and he's gonna go on the McKay plantation, and this is gonna be the introduction to Dion. Dion. So yes. along with yeah, along with uh, McKay. Oh, sorry, Luke Ossie Davis' character. McKay also buys another young black woman. I think she was sixteen. And the, the the guy who was selling them offered the mother too. He's like, nah, I just want the young girl. Yeah. Yeah. So on the McKay plantation, you get Ossie or Luke. And here's the introduction to Dion uh, Ward's character, Cassie. And this is the young slave girl who was 16. Duke's falling asleep. Uh, you can let that play. As she first get introduced to being on this new plantation. Don't be startled, but that handsome mask with its back to us is alive. Who's the new one? I've finished running to the cabins every time you're in one of your nigger moods. I mean, the one who stared you in the face. Well, the darky, Luke. Uh-huh. I like him. He has no fear of you.
What are you doing here? This is my room. Help me, please, please help me. There's your help. You learn to drink a lot of it. I'm not your mother. I didn't bear you. I feel nothing for you. If you have the courage, kill yourself. I'll even give you the knife, but don't come in here. That's her first time being separated from her family at 16 on on a plantation. And she's, you know, this guy, uh, what's his name, McKay, mm -hmm. he buys slaves, like he said, to for sport. Yeah, almost. Well, he didn't say. Uh, it says later, he's, for the women, gets them pregnant so he can have more slaves. And then the men, he just, that's his labor, that's his, uh, his stock. Now, the hard and fast rule here is no matter how light that slave was or how light that individual was, how we treated them or how, how uh, the slave was treated or the person was treated was not based on his father's side. Huh. It was based on whether that, that person's mother was a slave. Yeah. So you could be a quadroon, an octoroon, oh, you know, uh, all of those things. <laughs> But if your mom was the person that was enslaved, that's what your life was in perpetuity. Uh, we need that bell. Um, but and, and 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 Dion, what she said was, you know, and this is her first movie, folks. This is her debut. Yeah. Um, told her, you know, might as well kill yourself, <laughs> and I'll give you the knife. I, you know, I enjoy her character. Uh. You know, you know why? She's probably the Don't most... Don't tell us why, bro. She's the most complex character to me in the movie. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I like... When I used to uh, read Shakespeare, I liked the villains because the villains were the three-dimensional characters. Othello. Oth exactly. Othello was two-dimensional, but Iago, mm -hmm. that was a complex guy right there. There you go. There you go. Uh, so... And and mind you, Dion's uh, Warwick's character, Cassie, is the mistress of what's his name, McKay. McKay. Yeah. So see, she already bust out some kids. You'll see it later on. She talks about her daughter, who didn't make it. She sent her to freedom. So she says, "Yeah, I sent my little girl to freedom. I drowned her in that swamp out there." When I was sold to McKay, he wouldn't buy my husband with me. I was 17, two months before my time. She was a beautiful baby. I drowned her with my own two hands. She'll never have to grow up to be like me. Cassie sees something in um, Cassie's character. Yeah, she's, she sees... It's, it's almost like, wow, finally, there's a black man that I can finally respect. But, uh, yeah, but she... She, she wants him to hit it. Yeah. I but he's older. You know, it's not like... Uh, but what she's bucks. saying is... She's saying, I can submit to this guy. Mm-hmm. I have an option. I don't necessarily have to submit to this person anymore. Uh. 
So it kind of wakes something up in her. Yeah, and, and the way she talks to McCain, too, is, is, is a thing, too, because yeah. she doesn't really fear him, but she knows her place. And the way that he, McCain, is still lowering himself to her. Mm-hmm. And st- but yet he's still the, her master. Yeah. So there's a it's, a it's a lot going on and it just makes you think of the mentalities that's that's going on, these different layers of the mentalities is going on because you have Ossie who's who's God driven, yet he's a slave separated from his family. You got Jericho who yeah, he ain't really trying to hear all that. He don't want to be a slave and pushing on the kid. You got McKay who's all about economics. And the other guy who's all about economics too, and you got Stillwell, who has slaves, but he don't want to treat them the way that the other That's, slave masters. Are. You know what that is? What that? Is? What is the, that? The bro? Stillwell, the Stillwell, and the the other master, like that juxtaposition, is a lot like liberals and conservatives today. Mm. That's why they got these labels. They're not. They're not really fighting for us. They're fighting over us, mm-hmm. and there's a big difference. And so both of them are slave masters. That's what they are. Uh-huh. So I don't care how how uh, benign you are. You are still a slaver. Isabel. Yeah. You know, so so whether you're on the left wing or the right wing, it's still huh. same part of the racist bird. He's still flying us toward a very bigoted direction. <laughs> And you see, the the, the the ironic thing is that these guys fight with each other to try to go forward. In the previous movie, Calvin Lockhart is fighting against his own people to still try to move forward. It's it's a it's, cra- it's crazy, right? Yeah. And and we ain't even getting to the seventies <laughs> yet. Cassie talks to McKay in a certain way, and McKay talks down to her. Is like, yeah, I'll have you in the cotton fields too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's testing her. In a sense, or she's trying to test him, either or, but she goes out in that field. Uh, it, it This may be hard for some people to watch, to actually see folks working in this cotton field. There's one, you know, it's not really humorous, but it is humorous. The way Ossie is picking this field, and one of one of the guys that that brother we talking about is like, "Yo, you picking this cotton like it's yours?" Because uh, he was doing it, you know, he's he's, he's almost moving. automated. And like, you know, my daddy told me, son, in a sleeve and a backslider just about wiped the sleeve clean. But that's a lot of cotton, bro. That's a that that's a that's a field, man. I, and we can't even really fathom that and imagine that because that's that's and, heavy. Yeah, that's and cotton had thorns too. You you know you had to really. It wasn't just. Picking it, picking it is is easy. It's just navigating, and the way I, I like see, the monotony of it. He's got to be, you know, he's he's a babe, so he's been doing that since he, you know, he's moving through those roads. Master says this is for you. You fools! I'll have you flogged for this. Let her off with seventy-five pounds. Man, <laughs> you wait, Charlie. One of these days we're gonna get to whoop her naked. 
So imagine picking 75 pounds of cotton. Yes. And, and if you came up short. That shit runs. Yeah. Man, we can't imagine that. And and then people with jobs, then they got a hard job. And if I was <laughs> look at and then at the end of the, the, the shift they gotta wait. You get you what? How much you get? What? Ten cents? If that? If that? And something to eat? So you just refuse for people that come up short. There's the parallel again between the Luke character and Uncle Tom, is that he would rather take punishment than to brutalize his own people. That's what the Bible says. Chitterlings. If you don't touch her, we won't get enough time to eat. I won't be his slave. Name movie. You gotta get it. If you got that name, make sure you get a name belt. Jericho, whole front. You gotta wear that. Bling it out to Our way of life is very precious to me. I will do whatever is required to maintain it. I feel the way most of you running your properties is shaking the graciousness out of our civilization. Mr. McKay wears out his darkies in four to five years. Darkies. Mine live out their entire lifetime. Then why do you have more runaways than all of us put together? We better all understand this, sir. That's like... Darkie, we own gentlemen. pimps be talking, like, man, your hoes... Is the only self-reproducing machine in the world. Gotta know how to run it. I first met him in Africa as a young man when I ran a ship in the illegal slave running trade. Before I settled down here in the very legal slave driving cotton trade. Boys, attend to the gentleman. I packed blacks into my ship until you couldn't walk the decks. Every morning we threw the dead and the uh, Rebellious, overboard. They were not easy, those voyages. But we could turn a profit if we got 40% of them here alive. My library is always at your disposal. Volumes on all the aspects of human slavery. But I can spell it for you in this one magnificent sculpture. Or in one story which tells all one needs to know about the human being, in slavery or out. In the African trade, I met an old chief. I bought many of his people from him. Discussing handling slaves, he said, Captain, in the soul of a free man, a little slavery and a lot weigh the same. So they do in the soul of a slave. 
So when you chain him, just as well chain him firm. Brilliant man. He was as black as coal. He'd find your views, Mr. Bennett, romantic, dangerous. I know you all wonder why I keep these things in my house. They make you uncomfortable. Me too. That's why I keep them here. Ivory. Stone. Wood. Bronze. Look at their faces, man. Don't gawk, boy. Get that tray filled. Boy! Did you hear me? Yes, master. Don't talk back to me. Replenish the tray. I just ordered a darkie out of this room. Do you know anything about him? From his facial characteristics, his people probably came from the Sangai tribe. The area around Timbuktu. Three hundred years ago, they had a university there. Where the most delicate operations were performed for cataracts of the eye. People came from all over the world. To have their sight restored by these extraordinary black surgeons. Spartacus. I believe origins can crop up even after ten generations. <laughs> unless they're kept weeded out. What do we create? Surgeons? Sculptors? Or niggas? So lost being said right there. You know, he's a very educated man. He knows a lot about Africans. Africa, rather. And that's they, you see the economic value in turning them into N words. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the the value in overemphasizing or exaggerating white morality and mythologizing black inferiority. We need that bell. But yep. And um, they've turned this whole black inferiority into a religion. Mm-hmm. This is what I was talking about a couple episodes ago about how they were able to justify that biblically, knowing good and well they knew the truth about mm-hmm. us. And that's what's happening now. The world is looking at black people, knowing who they are, uh. and we're gawking at the mask, trying to figure out who we are. We know we know we're not this, uh-huh. but we're trying to figure out our past, and it seems that everybody around us is in on the joke. Okay. We're the Truman Show. Yeah. We're the Truman Show. That's what we are. Yeah. And they don't want us to know. Want to find because out. if we do know, that's it. It's over. Man. Game over. So, and that's the thing. Like, they say, uh, if you don't want, you want to hide something from black folks, put it in the book. And you know, when we start reading, you know, that's and, and some of the, a lot of these movies have messages in them. You know, not their messages in them, but they, they put stuff in plain sight. And so that's why we're calling this like the underlining of a lot of stuff that happens uh, for us to see it visually, you know, some movies and stuff like that. So it just goes hand in hand. Like we mentioned, the politics and the media, it's a lot of stuff just written there. You know, they write these stories for something. They're making money off it. And they're telling us what's up in your face, but you ain't going to do nothing about it, it seems. And there's an insane amount of, like I said, the economics and black ignorance 
uh, you wouldn't believe how how profitable it is. Hmm. Just in slavery alone, it's not just, you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's not just buying and selling slaves. Hmm. It's the industries that are created as a, as a result of slavery, which kept this country going. Them picking cotton, at one time, America is supplying probably 90% of the world's cotton. America doesn't have to go anywhere for the cotton. They send it up north to the textile industry, which is booming. So slavery is driving the country, whether it's in the north or the west. Slavery was good for the country economically. The only ones it wasn't good for was us. Slavery helped drive the railroads. Slavery helped drive a lot of these, uh, whether it's Wells Fargo, whether it's a lot of your big train companies, uh, Aetna, um, New York Life, all of these, all, these entities. all these entities had their hand in slavery. And they, they are really good. And what I'm saying is the government is really good at acting like they don't know us now mm. when they owe us. War reparations. Nah. Bottom line. Nah, we give you the stimulus. Calm yeah, we down. give you the stimulus <laughs> of your own money that you uh, you've already been taxed on. So, yeah, so yeah, there's like they're doing you a favor. <laughs> so throughout this movie, you still hear some things about the economics and stuff, and we're like midway through. Ossie is, you know, he's I guess settled in on the McKay plantation. Dion schools him, and then there's, they come to a point where. Uh, one of the girls have a baby, uh-huh. and who's who's the daddy? I'm the pappy. Uh, McKay is the pappy, <laughs> and he he has no words for it. He walks away when he's told he, baby looks just like you. But that baby's how much? Um, Cassie say the baby's worth two hundred dollars or something like that. Uh yeah, the master was saying for this first breath, a, a black baby is worth two hundred dollars. Yeah. So that's your earned income credit right there. They used to call them suckers back in the day. Mr. McKay, I wish to disassociate myself from your scholarship. To obtain maximum service even from a horse. One gentleman. Horses don't want to overthrow the system in which they live, Mr. Bennett. And it may well be that it is you who threatens our civilization. There's a darkie saying I'm very fond of. I collect them. Darkie says... I'm awful lazy at working for nothing. (laughs) Why shouldn't he be? Are you going to give him a political disquisition, Mr. Bennett? When I want my darkie to work 18 hours a day, seven days a week at the height of the season, I tell him why he's going to do it. Only one reason. I can make him. Now, you're no less a slaver because you give him Sunday off. And let him listen to an incandescent white preacher. Tell him God wants him to work like a horse and neigh for his master. I can tell him myself. And he'll believe me. Every plantation ought to work in the style of the most profitable. For the sake of our system. Or let me buy them out. Either one, as the darkies say. Unless our Rhode Island representative wishes to outbid me. I think that Mr. McKay is winning. I think he's going to destroy your peculiar institution faster than anybody. 
but then I'm a foreigner here. And we won't begin studying the economics of slavery until next semester. So really, it's not within my competence. It better be. And you notice he said the system, and then the Klansmen said the system, system as well. So, you know, it's, it's all linked together, folks. And we, we, we're highlighting these particular moments and these wordage because these are plot points in these movies, which underlines a lot uh, a bigger movie altogether for this actual genre and this era and stuff like that. So mind you, this was stuff that was talked about then, and we're just highlighting it, showcasing it, uh, how, how the movie was felt uh, made. And its purpose. So there's a there's a lot of things going on there. A lot of things that were said. More on the economics and stuff like that. So here's McKay who's trying to change things of what's already been set. But he actually made a, a addition or a different type of incentive to the other slave masters. So well, he, it's interesting. It, it goes to show that, you know, his style, you know, this depravity and, you know, this barbarity is really a, a business yeah. tactic mm. that's good for business. Darkies. Uh, so we're going to wrap this movie up. Uh, so with Aussie, how, how do you think about this movie anyway? So let's ask you that. Well, Aussie Davis's character, Luke, is a true Christian in this movie. Mm. And again... Go back and read Uncle Tom's Cabin if you haven't, because there are there are an insane amount of, of similarities, a lot of parallels. He chooses to and, and there's a powerful scene at the end where he 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 t- as he's getting beat, he's saying, We're gonna love each other, we're gonna we're gonna treat each other right, blah, blah, blah. And he chooses martyrdom instead of murder. Mm. All right? That's true Christendom. He gives his life. Sacrifices himself. He sacrifices himself. That's what Uncle Tom did, and that's what Luke's character does. Because mm-hmm. he had it set up for them to try to run away. Uh-huh. And uh, McKay kind of figured some of the things out, but, it's, you know. But when he gives his life, it's a it's an avenue to them being free. Mm-hmm. To the rest of the, to the, uh, the slaves that want to be free. So, yeah, again, this was a, also a good movie. Very good movie. It was uh, well made. It has some stuff in there. Interestingly enough, though, it was not well received at the time. Mm. Um, uh, well, a lot uh, of movies was you know a lot of a lot of criticism was uh, about it being similar to Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm-hmm. and then also the framing how it was shot. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I think Siskel calls it the worst release of 1969. Wow. He actually says that. Chicago Tribune, New York Times, they trash it. Uh, but they do they like do the say that uh Ossie Davis and Dion Warwick do a nice job in acting, mm-hmm. but uh they they kind of come at the dialogue or whatever. But as 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 uh scathing as the reviews are, it actually does pretty well, you mm-hmm. know, distribution wise. Yeah, this is my first time seeing Ossie Davis as a lead character and seeing Dionne Warwick, who's uh, she's a cousin of Whitney Houston, right? I think she's a godmother. Godmother, yeah, godmother. Yeah. Um, so that was my first time seeing, you know, 
this movie and is I thought it was very interesting. A lot of stuff about the economics of slavery, you know, the splitting up of the families was there and how they worked, what they worked for or worked didn't yeah. work for. So And fun fact, right? In sixteen sixty nine It's a fun fact? Yeah, fun fact, if you want to call it that. In 1669, the state of Virginia, or Commonwealth of Virginia, passes the Casual Killing Act. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because because he, uh, Luke's character, gets Uh killed at the end. Going back to the economic component, what happens is if a slave slave could be disciplined, and then the act of disciplining him, See if the if the slave is uh, defying in any way to the master and correcting him, if he should so happen to kill that slave, it's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. Here's the economic component. Any good master or any sensible master would have policies on their slaves. So after he kills him, he can collect insurance on that. And this is why New York... Because a lot of people think that South that that the uh, South was the only uh, perpetrators of slavery. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, in the 1600s, no, no, no. probably 65 percent of households actually had slaves. And in fact, they uh, New York was probably one of the more pro pro slave uh, states in the Union. And they had talked about seceding with the South. So everybody was making money hand over fist on this industry. That's that's the Cars McLaren, the educated, the great debater. He'll let you know. He'll put it to you, put the book in your face, argue with it. uh, But it's there, folks. We um, definitely check these two movies out. First movie was Halls of Anger, starring Calvin Lockhart. Second one was Slaves, starring Ossie Davis, featuring Dion Warwick. Debut actor. Debut actor. She did. Yeah. Excellent. Our first movie was a movie about slavery. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So please check these movies out. You can find them both on YouTube. They're there. That's how I watch them. So make sure y'all subscribe to our YouTube page. Hit the bell for notifications for new episodes. This episode will probably be out next week or later than that depending on how we feel follow us on instagram and facebook like and follow us go to our uh, website yes thegroovepavement.com this whole series is going to be about black exploitation the eras and the things that's going on around it this is the pre-black exploitation movie set right here I am Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. The Groove Pavement, we out. Right on. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? <laughs> dig it.